So it was Mark Twain who said, the secret to getting ahead is getting started. How many of you love quotes? Anybody? Very inspiring. I, I read them all the time off Twitter. My, my son just yesterday said to me, he said, Dad, I got a good quote for you. My 13-year-old son, I said, well, lay it on me. He said, he said you don't have to be great to get started, but you got to get started to become great. And that was by Les Brown. Isn't that exciting? I just love it. My 13-year-old son just diving in. Hey, if you're a guest with us here today, welcome to Emmanuel. My name's Danny. We're starting a brand new series today called Start, because it, it is the start of a brand new year, and I'm so pumped about that. Anybody else excited about that? Awesome, awesome, awesome. How many of you would love to change something about your life right now? Just raise, a, raise your hand. Just something, anything about your life. Maybe you want to lose 20 pounds. Maybe you'd like to overall level of happiness to go up. Maybe you'd like to be closer to God this year and see your faith grow and become stronger. Maybe you'd like to improve your marriage or improve a relationship. Maybe you'd like to get married. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you'd like to finally kick that bad habit or when maybe it's cigarettes or too much drinking or too much partying or something like that. I don't know, but all of us probably have at least one or two or, let's be honest, five things we'd like to change about our lives. Now, I'm a huge believer that people don't change until the pain of staying the same exceeds, goes beyond the pain of change. Do you agree with that? In other words, in other words, we don't like to change and we resist change. We like to stay where we are until it's so painful that we must change. And so if you want to change in your life, you actually have to embrace the, 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 the sense that I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. And that's when people begin to change. Anybody ever watch the show Intervention on A&E? This is what they do. The show is all about people who are addicted to crack and heroin and all different types of substances. And, and so what they try to do in the show is they try to heap loads of pain onto that person so that it gets so uncomfortable for them to stay where they are that they are forced to change. So parents stop giving them money, parents stop letting them sleep in the basement, friends just cut them off, and so it gets so painful that they say, okay, I'll, I'll finally go and I'll get some help. And so that's the idea. Now, you may not end up on an uh, episode of Intervention, or, or you may, I'm not sure, hopefully, hopefully you don't, but, but we're not much different from the people on Intervention. Like, we don't change until the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing, because we like to stay in our comfort zone. Do you agree with this? So you have to kind of embrace that sense of, oh, I can't stand this anymore. I have to lose the weight. Oh, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to quit the cigarettes. Oh, I can't stand this anymore. I've got to improve this marriage or whatever. You have to embrace that. Now, this is a great time of the year to start making some of those changes because it's the beginning of the year. And, and I don't know if you get excited about it, but I do. I get, I get this sense of excitement that, hey, we've got a clean slate. We've got a blank canvas. We can, we can start all over again. And I believe that God has built our calendar that way for that purpose. One of the purposes is to kind of give us a sense that, okay, last year's over. We've got a brand new year. We've got a, a new opportunity to start over. And in fact, if you're taking notes, I believe this about God. I believe that, that, that God loves to give us the opportunity to start Again, I believe that our God is a God of grace and mercy, and he says, look, I know what you've done, I know how you failed, I've known how you bl you've blown it, and I know how you gave up and you quit and all the mistakes you made, but here's what I love to do. I love to help you start over. Do you believe this about God? See, this is the way I am as a father. See, I had the privilege of teaching three children to, to learn how to ride their bike, and, and isn't it interesting how that happens in the hottest days of the summer when this has to happen, when the training 
wheels come off. And so three times in my life, I have, I've had the, 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 the opportunity to, to get out there and, and sweat pouring down me and take the training wheels off and just running up and down the street, letting go, and then they'd fall over and picking them back up. And now, at no point in time during those three periods where, where I taught my kids how to ride a bike, did I ever say, you know what, you stink, what's wrong with you? Like, put the bike back in the garage where the training wheels are going back on. You're terrible. You know, that wasn't my approach. In fact, my approach was the exact opposite. It was more like, come on, come on, you get back up. You can do this. You're going to do this. You've got the talent. You've got the skills. Get a Band-Aid. We'll put it on the knee, and we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep going. See, if I'm like that with my kids, and if you're like that with your kids, what is God like? Perfect love, perfect mercy, perfect grace. He's, he loves to say, look, I know you fell. I know you failed. I know you sinned. I know you've, you, you're broken. But let's go. Let's try again. In fact, in the, in, the, in the book of Lamentations, we don't often go to that book in the Bible, but there's a great passage about God. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord, or the consistent, unconditional, unmovable, that's what that word means, love of God never stops. It never ceases. Watch this. His mercies never come to an end. Now that word mercy is interesting. It means you don't receive what you deserve. See, if you and I received what we deserve from God, we'd all be in some deep stuff. Don't you agree with this? Yeah, yeah, thank goodness for his mercy. His mercies are new. They never come to an end. Watch this. They, his mercies, are new. How often? Say it with me. Oh, come on. Come on. It's... It's 11.45. Let's go. His mercies are new. How often? There we go. Say, look at somebody right now say every morning. Come on. Come on. Let's play a little bit. Let's have, see. See, you got to wake up a little bit here. Let's go. His mercies are new every morning, and then, and then we can, therefore we can proclaim that great is your faithfulness. There's a, there's a famous song about that. God, your faithfulness is awesome. It's fantastic. It's great because you are a God who loves to give us a second chance. You love to, to help us start over again. That's the kind of God we have. Now, in this series, all I want to do is inspire you, instruct you, and coach you, myself included, on how to be the type of person who can start and start and start. Because it's not easy to start, is it? You know, go, let's go back to Mark Twain. He said the secret to getting ahead is getting started. That's awesome. That's a great quote. I love that quote. But, but here's the question I want to ask you today. Why is it so hard to get started? Like, what is it about it? Like, we know we should start on certain areas of our life. There's things we want to change in our life. But we often fail to get started. And I, I, I thought of at least seven reasons why I personally fail to get started sometimes. And I, and I am kind of a self-motivated person, but I still struggle to get started in some key areas of my life. I'll name a few in just a moment. But I want to, I want to work through these seven really quick. Number one is the, like it's a cuss word, I think. It's a, it's a, it's a bad word. We, we procrastinate. Do you agree with me? We procrastinate. What is procrastination? It's putting off what we know we should do today for another time. Isn't that what it is? And why do we procrastinate? See, you know why you procrastinate, right? Because you've linked up pain with starting. It's uncomfortable. We don't want to do it. Because it's like, we love the comfort zone. Anybody else like easy street? Anybody else like the comfort zone? I do. I look for easy street all the time. I go to the path of the least resistance, right? That's the way human nature is. I don't want to be bothered sometimes. And, and so in order to get started in a certain area of my life, i got to do some work. And I don't want to do some work. I want comfort. So I procrastinate. And I put it off. I've been telling you I wanted to write a book for like five years now. Still haven't gotten it done. <laughs> 
Why? Because I associate pain with typing and writing and all those different things and grammar and spelling and blah, blah, blah. Gross. So the book's not, the book's not been written yet. See? So I'm, because I put it off. You procrastinate? Oh, yeah. Okay, no. Number two, watch this. We fear failure. Some of us, some of us, we've failed a couple times in our life. We hate it. And so we don't want to start on that thing. We're going to start on that marriage because what if it fails? We don't want to go to a counselor because what if it doesn't work? We don't want to, you know, start the diet because what if it doesn't work? We'll fail yet again. And so we don't get started. Number three, watch this. We get overwhelmed. Anybody have an area in your home? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm going with this. You have an area of your home. It's a closet. It's a drawer. <laughs> it's a garage. It's so messy, and it's so ridiculous, and it's so, so out of order that you look at it, and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know where to start. See, for, for me, it's the garage, and it's the drawer, and, and it's the closet. Okay, so we have all three in our house, but, but the biggest one is, is, is the garage. And I go through the garage, and I look at it, and I go, there's a pile over there of stuff, just random, another random pile of stuff over here, another random pile of stuff over here. And it's like, I just, when I walk through the garage, I just kind of don't look. I just put your, your head down, go to the car, unlock the door, get in, pull out. You know, and when, when people come over and they drop the kids off and friends and they come over, we, we say to each other inside the house, close the garage doors <laughs> because it's embarrassing, you know, because we're overwhelmed. So I always think to myself, you know what, I'm going to, this weekend, I'm going to clean the garage. And I, I don't, I don't. Because it's overwhelming, right? Look at number four. Watch this. Number four, we don't believe. This is so critical. I mean, I see this all the time with people. I say, hey, why haven't you started doing that? Why haven't you done that? Well, I just, they don't believe that they can actually achieve it. They don't believe that they can actually do what it takes to win. You know, Henry Ford said, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're probably right. Isn't that true? And so many of us simply don't believe that we have what it takes. And so number five, watch this. We fear success. This is, a, this is an odd one to me, but I believe it's true. Not for everybody, but for some people. What, what if you actually succeed? What if you actually write the book? What if you actually lose the weight? What if you actually start that business? What if it actually becomes profitable? What, hap what happens when you win? What do you do then? All kinds of new pressures. Whoa. See, and then we go back to our comfort zone, our safe zone, what we know to be true. It was, it was Marianna Williamson who said this, and this, is oft this quote has often been attributed to uh, uh, Nelson Mandela, but he's actually quoting from her. Listen to these inspired words. It's a little bit too long to put on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. So try to forgive me for this, but I'm just going to read it to you. Our deepest fear is not that we are ina inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are meant to shine as children do. We are born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just in some, it is in everybody. As we let our light shine, as we are liberated from our own fear, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Our very presence automatically liberates others. That is an incredibly powerful quote. And what is she saying? She's trying to help people to, to, to go for what they were created for, to become the person that God has created them to be. But a lot of times we don't get started because we fear success. Look at number six. I don't really have to go too deep into this because it's self-explanatory. We're just lazy. Come on, let's be honest. In order to do some of the things that, that we feel compelled to do, there's some extra work that's got to be done. There's some extra hours that need to be put in. And, and again, that puts us out of our comfort zone. We don't want to pay that price, so we don't do it. Look at number seven. We just lack the know-how. Oh, I struggle with this one. When I don't know how to do something, I shut down. I just, I just, I just, I get stalled. 
I mean, I remember it was like a year ago, we had to change the, one, of the, one of the pieces of hardware on a door, and I'm looking, I was like, I don't know how to do that. So I called a buddy of mine, and he came over, and he fixed it. And, and he just confessed to me last week. He thought, you know, when I was fixing that doorknob for you, I thought to myself, why can't Danny do this? Like, well, you know, I felt like, well, why didn't you tell me that, you know, when you were doing it? So, so just recently we had some friends over, and uh, they were in our home, and my, this one particular friend um, is, an, is an appraiser. And, and uh, so we asked her the question, you know, well, you know, since you're in our home, you know, what do you think our you know, house is worth? And you know, I asked her to work while she wasn't working. And, and so she began to look around. She said, well, you need to change some things and update some things. So I go, what do we need to update? She's like, well, you can start with the hardware and all your doors. You know, we, have, we still have, like, the gold color. Uh, you know, doorknobs and stuff like that, and so they, she said they need to be changed to, uh, like, brush nickel or something like that, and so we're like, okay, so we went out to Menards, you know, a couple days after that, we bought, like, 18 doorknobs, you know, and, and we got this whole thing, you know, come back to the house, and then it hit me, <laughs> you know, we spent, like, over $100 on doorknobs, and, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't know how to do this, <laughs> so I, I wanted to say something, but then I thought I would be embarrassed in front of my wife, so I just kind of started fumbling through the first one, and I opened it up, and all these little pieces fell out, and screws went everywhere, and I'm like, oh, this is awful. But I persevered, and I took the doorknob off, first one, tried to put the other one on. It was all, it was all wonky and weird, and, and, but I managed to get it on there. It took me about 30 minutes, <laughs> but, and then Jackie did the rest of them, but... but uh, <laughs> No, no, no. We did. We split it half and half. But, but here's, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. I almost didn't do it because I don't know how to do stuff like that. I really, it's just so, and, and you could take that idea across the board, whatever the issue is. If you don't know how to do something, oftentimes you don't get started and you stall. Here's what this series is all about. We're going to try to work through these seven things a little bit. We might not get to all of them. And help you bust through these limitations so that you can actually make the changes and get started in the key areas that you need to get started in your life. So let's jump in right into the thick of it. I'm going to throw some hard truth on you. This is some difficult stuff. Not, not complicated, but just hard to hear. See, I believe, I believe, that when it comes to living the greatest life that you can possibly live, the life that God has planned for you, I believe that you and I are the ones, are, are, the, true, are the true source of pain and suffering. I believe that, we, that you and I are actually our own greatest enemy. It was Theodore Roosevelt, who's our 26th president, who said this. I think this is an incredible quote. If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of the trouble in your life, you wouldn't sit down for a month. (laughs) I I believe that. Like, I have incorporated that into my mind and into my heart. Like, like the problem is not my wife. The problem is not my children. The problem is not you. The problem is not my... The problem is me. Look at somebody right now and say, the problem is me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. The problem is me. Some of you don't want to do it. See? You're too cool. You're too cool. The problem is you. See, that's, that's hard. That's hard to hear. We don't like that. We like to say the problem is the boss. The problem is I don't make enough money. The problem is the boss doesn't recognize me. The problem is my kids won't behave. The problem is the, the rent went up. The problem, the problem, the problem. No, 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 no. The problem is right in here. That's where the problem is. Isn't it true that you and I are the source of most of the pain and suffering. Now, I know there are exceptions to this rule, and and little kids get cancer, and and people die in car accidents, and I understand there are exceptions to the rule, that things, sometimes things happen outside of our control, cause incredible suffering and pain. But most of the time, 95% of the time, the pain and suffering that we experience in our life comes from the choices that we make. Think about that relationship that blew up because you couldn't control your, your anger. Come on, whose fault is that? Right in here. 
right? Think about that, that lust issue that caused you to start flirting with that person at work and looking at things online that you shouldn't look at, and then it blew up and it led to a divorce. Whose issue is that? It's right here. It's right here. Think about the insecurity that you've let grow and grow and grow inside of you to the point where every time someone criticizes you or gives you some type of negative feedback, you, you take it as an insult. And so therefore, you got all kinds of relationship issues at work. Nobody can say anything to you because, oh, you're super sensitive. Whose issue is that? Right here, isn't it? Think about the fact that you know you should be exercising and watching your diet and taking care of your body, but you don't have enough self-discipline to follow through and get yourself to the gym and curb what you eat. Whose, whose issue is that? Right here, isn't it? isn't it true? You know that you should be controlling your mouth at work and you shouldn't say certain things around certain people and you should be respectful, but, but you can't help it. And so, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> whose issue is that? It's right here. It's right here. It's this mouth. It's this heart, Right? See, most of the pain that enters into our life comes from us. You know that you shouldn't be focused on, on the things, the, the, the circumstances and problems in your life and, and, and always be looking at those things and complaining. And, and, and you know that you should be actually trusting God. And, and you know the Bible verse in Proverbs chapter 3 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. You know Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, some of you do, which says pray about everything and let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. You know that you should be trusting God, but you don't. Who's, who, whose issue is that? And because you don't trust God, now you're filled with fear and anxiety and worry. Whose issue is that? Is that God's fault? Is that your spouse's fault? Like, where does that fear come from? The circumstances? No, it comes from, comes from you. You know and you've heard that you shouldn't compare your life to other people and what other people make and the kind of cars they drive and how good their kids do in school. Their kids get straight A's. What's wrong with my kids? <laughs> you know, what happened to them? You know, you know you shouldn't compare, but then you do start comparing. I wish I don't, I don't have a job like that. I, can't, I don't live in that neighborhood. I don't have a car like that. My kids aren't like that. And all of a sudden, you're filled with, you're filled with envy and all yucky feelings. Like, whose issue is that? Come on, come on, come on, come on. We have to get to the point where we're honest enough to say, you know what? Most of the pain, most of the problems, not all of it, most of it comes from my heart. That's why in this first talk, I, I titled this talk, Start With Yourself. Start With Yourself. See, I believe if you want your life to change, you have to start with yourself. You gotta begin with you. We gotta stop saying, man, my life will get better when the boss starts acknowledging me, when I get paid more, when the weather gets better, when my kids start behaving. We gotta stop that nonsense because you're always going to have negative circumstances. You're always gonna have difficult things happening in your life. See, if you want a great life, it has to start from inside of yourself. And that's why one of the wisest people to ever live, who made some big mistakes in his life too, huge mistakes, he wasn't perfect, but he was wise, he said these words in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, or your top priority in life is to guard your, say it with me, your heart. Watch over your heart. Guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. Every dollar you spend, every word you speak, every response you have, every situation, every, every, every response you have to every situation in life comes from where? Comes from your heart. See, what, what Solomon is teaching here is that we live from our hearts. We live from the inside out, not from the outside in. Does that make sense? So when the Bible uses the word heart, it, it is talking about the real you. 
and the real me. Who you are on the inside. Your mind, your thoughts, your drive, your will, your, your decision, your capacity to make decisions in your life. It's, it's the totality of the inner person. That's what the Bible means when it uses the word heart. Now here's what's interesting about the heart. The heart can be in, in many different conditions. Every single one of us have a heart today. It's who you are on the inside. And your heart is in a specific condition. Your heart can be angry or your heart can be peaceful. Your heart could be compassionate or cold and indifferent. Your heart could be joyful or your heart could be incredibly sad. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because today your heart is in one of those conditions. Your heart can be envious and jealous or your heart could be rejoicing for people who are succeeding. See that? It's a different, it's a different condition. Your heart can be pure towards God or it could be filled with sexual impurity and lust. Jesus said this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are those who are pure, where? In their that's where we live. We live from our heart. Why are they blessed? Because they're going to see God. They're going to live closely with God because of the purity of their heart. Your heart is in a specific condition today. And everything that we do flows from our heart. Does that make sense? Now, let me give you a little quick caveat here, a little side, sidebar. Haven't you noticed how you can kind of cover up who you really are to the other people even the closest people to you. Have you noticed that you're, you're able to do that, the true you? Like there are things about you that, that, that your spouse and your kids, and they really don't know. Human beings are really good at that. And we learn to do that over time. Because haven't you noticed that little kids, they're not very good at it? <laughs> they don't know how to cover up. They don't know pretense. They don't know mask. They don't know, they don't, they don't know how to fake. So they just, they just are who they are. They come out of the womb and they just, however, what's inside of them just comes out. And they, don't have, they can't cover it up. Like they say things like, when you're out in public, they say things like, oh, daddy, she's got bad breath. And you're like, oh, don't say that. Not out loud at all. I mean, not out loud. Don't say it. Because they haven't learned how to how to cover up what's going on but we adults we've gotten real good at it I mean story after story after story of, of a marriage who's the, of 25 years ends and, and the spouse says I just didn't know he was like that so how did you not know 25 years of marriage how did you not know it's why here's why because human beings even married married people can mask and cover up what they're really like even after 25 years 30 years. So you and I can cover up what, what our hearts to a, to a degree, but here's what's interesting. You can never cover who you are. You can never cover your heart when it comes to God, ever. Like he sees right through all of the pretense and the faking and the mask wearing. Listen to what Jeremiah said. But I, the Lord, God speaking through Jeremiah, I, the Lord, I search what? Your heart, my heart. I search it out. Every nook and cranny, I know what's going on. I know the real you, not the you that you want other people to know. I know the real you. And guess what else I do? I examine all secret motives. I got to sit down for that one. I have to admit to you, I'm a bag of mixed motives. I do things. I do a lot of things. For a lot of different reasons. And I like to sometimes give the impression that my motive is love or Jesus. 
when the reality is sometimes there's something else going on in there that's ugly and dark. And I can fake my wife out, and I can fake my kids out, and I can even fake you out. But not Jesus. Because he examines, he lifts up every rock and every stone. He looks under, he says, oh, see, I see, I see what's really driving you here. You can't hide it from me. Now, I remember learning this truth as a young Christian. I was at a Bible camp. I was a camp counselor, and, the, and, and this truth smashed me in the face, changed my life. Because what I wanted to do was go and hide. I love to hide. I grew up hiding. I had a secret life. One life in front of my mom, another life in front of my friends, another life in front of my girlfriend, another life in front of whatever. I was a chameleon. Anybody else live as a chameleon? Kind of change with the crowd. I like to be secretive. I like to be sneaky. And all of a sudden, this preacher started talking about God sees there's no such thing as a private moment. I, was like, oh. I love private moments. I love when no one can see. I love being alone. And Jesus is intruding into my privacy. And I wanted to run. I wanted to hide like Adam and Eve tried to do in the Garden of Eden. Wasn't that silly? We talked about that in the last series. Like, really, you're going to hide from God? You can't hide from him. But then I, I, had, I started to think about it, and I thought about, okay, so what, 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 what this truth is is that, that God sees the totality of my inner person, all the, the ugliness and all the good things and all of the stuff in between, and, and, and he still says, my steadfast love never ceases. He still says, my mercy for you is new every morning. Wow. He still says that, that his faithfulness is awesome and great. And instead of running from God, I just, I just ran towards him and said, God, I cannot believe that you really see the true me like no one else does. Every nook and cranny. And your position and stance towards me is still love. I'm undone. You got me. And he swept me off my feet with love. See, this truth will either make you run from him or it'll make you run to him. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The Apostle John said it this way, perfect love casts out fear. God loves you perfectly in Jesus Christ and there is no fear. So, that's a whole nother sermon within a sermon. I didn't mean to go that deep into it, so I apologize. We're really talking about our heart. I just want to do a little, little side note there. That you can run towards him because he sees your true heart and he still says, I love you in Jesus Christ. Wow. That's awesome. Now, let's get back to what Solomon says here in Proverbs chapter 4, okay? We'll go back to our main sermon. Proverbs 4, Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do comes from it. What does that mean? He, here's what it means. I wrote the, this sentence down, and I think this captures it. He, what he's teaching is that the condition of my heart determines the quality of my life. That is, if that's all you get today, in fact, that's the main point of my sermon today, that, that the condition of my heart determines the quality of my life. You know, we're, we're, we're made to believe today that the, the quality of our life is determined by outward circumstances. Well, if I get the raise, or if my, if my spouse would get their act cleaned up, or if my kids would start to behave, or if the weather would change, or if I get that new house, or if we get married, or if I have a child, or if my kids leave the home, or whatever, we, we're led to believe that if, if things on the outside change, well, then I would be happy on the inside. And it's just not true. Solomon says, no, 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 no. The condition of my life, or the condition of my heart, determines the quality of my life, not my outward circumstances. I talk to all the people, I talk to a lot of people about this. They say, well, you know, I'm not really an angry person, but from time to time I get angry. I say, okay, let's, let's investigate that a little bit. 
Well, why do you get angry from time to time? Well, it's because when I'm driving down 135, somebody cuts me off. They're driving too slow. They don't make their left turn too quick, quick enough. You ever been there? Or my spouse didn't do this, or they said they'd do this, or the boss didn't do this, and they said they would do this, or so-and-so lied to me, or so-and-so. And when those things happen, then I get angry, and I say, okay, that's, that's fine. It's great. Makes sense so far. The only problem is, is that that's wrong. <laughs> the truth of what's going on is that the anger was already in your heart, and those situations and people, all they did was bring the anger out. And that's not a very fun truth, because where does that put the responsibility? Whose fault is it? Who's the problem? Where's the pain coming from? It's coming from the individual, not from the circumstance. We all, we're all going to have negative circumstances coming to our life. But what God is doing, and this is, this is a fabulous truth. If you can get this today, this will change your life right here. What God is doing is he's using those situations and those circumstances and those people that cut you off on the road and your spouse and, and, and the financial issue that's going on or the boss or whatever. He's using those scenarios in your life to show you what's really in your heart. Uh-oh. Nobody said amen to that. <laughs> we don't want to look into our hearts and, and think that, that the issue is me. We, don't want to, we want to point our fingers to the issue is you. But God is interested in the condition of your heart because it's the condition of your heart that determines the quality of your life. See that? God wants to remove the anger and put patience in there and gentleness and kindness and love and mercy that's what he's, he's doing heart surgery on every single one of us using scenarios and situation to do it, to do it. That is an unbelievable truth. See, we live from the inside out. This is why when people go to a third world country, and, and as I have uh, not many times, but when I've been there, I've seen poverty, utter, utter poverty. Just people living in cardboard houses and, 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 and dirt, dirt sidewalks with, 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 with human waste going down the middle. I've seen these, these, these little... I don't even know what to call them. You can't even call it a neighborhood, but I've seen it. And, and then I've also seen the people, and they're smiling, and the kids are laughing, and, and they're happy. And, and some of you have been there, and you come back, and you have this testimony that I don't know how these people are happy. They have nothing. They literally have zero. How is that possible? Here's how it's possible. It's because the quality of our life is determined by the condition of our heart, not our outward circumstances, as we're taught in America. Oh, my life will get better when my circumstances get better. No, it won't. Your life will get better when you start with you in here dealing with what's going on in your heart. Which is why Solomon says, if we can go back to our verse here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard it. Watch over it. This, this little word right here, it means to protect it. To be a steward of it, to manage it. Think of that, think of that old retired guy. Uh, not, not that he has to be old necessarily, but think of that, that person who's retired. And, and, and they've got a lot of time in their hands, so what do they do? They cut their grass twice a week, right? You know somebody like this? they got the best lawn in the neighborhood. They give the chemicals at the right time. The edging is perfect. It's awesome. It's beautiful. What are they doing? They're guarding their lawn. That's what the word means. They're, they're tending it and managing it and feeding it and cutting it and shaping it. And there's no leaves on it, right? Or, or, or think of that exercise enthusiast who manages, you know, their, their protein intake and their fat intake and their carbohydrate intake, and they manage how long they have to exercise every day, and they all got like 0% body fat, body fat and all that stuff. What are they doing? They're guarding their bodies. That's what the word means. They're watching over their body, all the food that comes in and everything that goes out. That's kind of gross, sorry. But, but they're guarding it. Think of, that, think of that mutual fund manager who's guarding the, you know, the people's money that, he, that, that he's, has been entrusted to him and making sure that he invests it properly. What is he doing? He's guarding it. He's watching over it. That's what this word means. 
You know what Solomon is saying here? He's saying, above all of the other stuff that you're supposed to be managing and guarding, above all of that, guard your heart. Because everything that you do comes from your heart. We live from the inside out. You know what he's really saying saying here? He's saying there's nothing more important on this earth than the condition of your heart. Like it's the most important thing. There is nothing of greater value on this earth than the condition of your heart. Why? Why? Because from this heart, from your spirit, from who you are, that's where we live And that's how we respond, and that's how we speak, and that's how we spend, and that's how we do what we do. The condition of our heart determines the quality of our life. Have you ever heard it said, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog? That's absolutely true. We live from the inside. So here's, here's where I go every week, and this is, this is the fun part, right? This is the part where you got to, like, make a decision. You like it? Good, because we're going to keep doing it. Where do you need to start? Where's your heart? What's the condition? Are you angry? Envious? Jealous? Lustful? Can't quit looking at stuff? Can't quit cheating on your spouse? What's the condition of your heart? Where do you need to start? That's where I need to bring you today. That's where God wants you today. Why? Because he wants to do heart surgery on you. That's what he's most concerned about in your life. And he's using situations and people and scenarios to get you to look on the inside. So in your notes, in your notes, trying to, again, trying to lead you to the water, but only you can drink. My heart is blank. Fill it in. And today, I'm starting the process of overcoming this heart condition. Come on, guys. Come on. you got to do this. i got to do this. And my heart is angry. And today, I'm starting the process of overcoming this heart condition. Today, my heart is fearful. My heart is anxious. And today, I'm starting to the process of overcoming that heart condition. You have to start. I absolutely love what John Kitchen said. He's a commentator on the book of Proverbs on this particular verse. Listen to what John said. There's no single action that will more directly affect the outcome and quality of your life than guarding your heart. Wow. What a statement. There is nothing more important for you to do in this world than monitor the condition of your heart, to guard your heart, to watch over your heart, to put the right stuff in and get the right stuff out. Why? Because we live from our hearts. We are so careless with our hearts, it blows my mind. As adults, we let anything into our heart. And when I, when I mean that, I mean we let anything into our spirit. We watch movies, we think we can handle it. We listen to music, we, 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 we let anything in through our eyes and through our ears, and we expect it not to affect our spirit. And we just, we're, just, we're just very haphazard with our spirit. We're very haphazard with our hearts. We're not diligent. We don't guard it. We don't watch over it. We watch whatever we want to watch on YouTube or whatever. And, and we, we don't think it's going to affect us. Let me tell you, there's people spending billions of dollars to affect your heart. It works. Everything that comes through these eyeballs and through these ears is affecting your heart. Don't kid yourself. And that's why 10, 15 years come down, comes later, and your life blows up and your marriage blows up. And you go, what happened? You haven't been guarding your heart. You're letting whatever you want to think, just kind of think in your mind, go in your mind. You're whatever you want to watch, you're watching. And then, not only are you haphazard with, with your mind and heart, most parents are haphazard with their children's hearts. 
Oh, did he just go there? Yeah, I did. Let me sit down for this one. I know parents that give their kids an iPad. I'm talking about 9, 10, 11 years old. Give the kid an iPad, have the Wi-Fi code to the house, and they just let the kid go look whatever they want to look at. As if, as if trash is not going to come right into that home, right into your, right your kid's face, and they're going to see things that are absolutely going to damage their heart forever. Never going back. 10, 11 years old. The average 11-year-old now sees pornography. It's getting younger and younger and younger because of iPhones and iPads and everybody gives one out. I told my 13-year-old son, you're not getting an iPhone. Sorry, kid. No, it ain't going to happen. But, Dad, don't you trust me? Yeah, I trust you, but I can't stop your friends from texting you a picture of something you shouldn't see right now or ever see. See, what are we doing? As, as a mom and dad, we're doing our very best. We don't, do, we don't do the best. We're doing our very best to guard our children's hearts and minds because all of that stuff damages their soul. So what, what we watch on television is taped. It's a beautiful thing called TiVo. They don't call it TiVo anymore. They call it something else. I don't know what they call it. But anyway, we tape stuff and we fast forward through the commercials because is there, are, there anything, are there any good commercials these days going on for kids to see? No. And so all of that stuff is, is damaging our children's hearts. And you as a parent, you as a grandparent, you are responsible to guard your own heart, but also guard their heart. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about a set of rules or not seeing movies. I'm just saying, hey, this stuff has an impact on our children's hearts and how, who the, the person that they're becoming in their life. Everything we do comes from our hearts. So here, here we are in, in, in the point of decision, Right? And I love what Theodore Roosevelt said in the point of decision, 26th president. He said, in any moment of decision, which that's what this is, the best thing to do is the right thing to do. The next best thing is the wrong thing to do. And the worst thing to do is nothing. It's nothing. It would be terrible for you to do nothing with, God, with what God has revealed to you today about your heart. Just to walk out of here and say, well, that was, you know, that was okay. Not going to do anything. That would be the worst thing to do. If nothing else, if you, do, if you act in no other way and make no other decision, maybe you can simply memorize Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Just memorize that verse. At least, at least you'll walk out of here with the knowledge that you live from the inside out, not from the outside in. You with me? You with me? But act. Do something with what God has shown you today. The journey of a thousand miles, if you, as you have heard it said, begins with the first step. Start working on that issue. In, in, in other words, it would be a colossal failure if 365 days from now, you and I are sitting here, we're having the same conversation, and you haven't dealt or started on that issue in your heart. Still jealous, still angry, still lustful, still anxious, still hateful, still resentful. All, like that would, that would break my heart for you. That, wait a second, a whole year has gone by and you didn't start on that issue. In fact, it's gotten worse. It's like an abscess. It just grows. Oh, come on, let's start. Let's start. So this week in your small group, and I strongly encourage you to get in a group, you're going to talk about this. Your small group leader is going to say, okay, what was the thing that you said was in your heart and how can we help you start working on that issue? Agreed? Agreed? Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about something else real quick and we'll get out of here. There's some of you here today that you need to start a relationship with God. You need to begin a relationship with God. This is the most, this is the moment for you. I remember when I was 17 years old, I went to this church and there was this Norwegian pastor there and he was talking about how to start a relationship with God. And at that point in my life, I was into the wrong things. 
going down all the wrong paths. But as I, as I got to this church, I began to feel strangely drawn to this message. He began talking about not joining a religion or joining a church, but he began talking about knowing Jesus and how Jesus loves you and, and how he died on a cross for, for me. And my wheels began to turn, and I felt strangely drawn to this message. It wasn't long after that before I, I began to understand that I needed Jesus in my life. I needed him to forgive me of my sins. I needed to start a relationship with him. And as I listened closely to that pastor teach, I was so glad he actually taught how to start a relationship with God. And, and he would say things like, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ to start a relationship with God. You need to trust that he died on the cross for your sins, that he died in your place. And he would go through this, this whole thing. And I would listen. I would say, okay, I, I agree with that. I believe that. Then one day in 1995, it was the summer of 1995 in my backyard, I kind of stumbled in my way through some of the words that the pastor had said the previous week. And I, I just reached out to Jesus. I said, Jesus, if you're real, if you really did die on the cross for me, I ask you to come into my life and, ma and make me one of your kids, something like that. And I became a Christian. I gave my life to Christ. Had no idea it would lead to me becoming a pastor at all. But perhaps, perhaps, the moment that I had back in 1995, perhaps today, perhaps this moment is your moment where you start a relationship with God. You say, how do I do that? You do it the same way I did it. You put your faith in Jesus. You ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. You acknowledge him as the Savior. You acknowledge that he died on the cross for you, that without him you'd spend eternity without him. And you can begin a relationship with God today. If that's you today, I'd ask you to close your eyes and bow your head in this holy moment. Please, no one get up, no one move around If you feel drawn to Christ right now, that's, that's, that's the way he does it. He draws you in in your, in your spirit. He tugs on your heart. And he says, yes, this is your time. If you feel that, if you sense that, just pray this prayer. Express this faith to him in this very holy moment. Say to Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I ask you to cleanse me. Wash away my sins. I believe you died in my place. You took the penalty for me. I don't understand, I don't understand all the details, but I understand you love me. I confess that you're my Savior, my Lord. From this day forward, give me the strength and grace to live my life differently in a way that honors you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As, before we leave, something very, very critical. If you just prayed to receive Christ, we want to put a Bible in your hands, and this is so critical. It's not about a gift. It's not about you taking one of these. The reason we want to put a Bible in your hand is if you pray to receive Christ today is because we believe with all of our hearts that God is, God's primary way to speak to us is through the Word of God, that it's inspired by Him. So if you pray to receive Christ today, I've got friends back here to my left. There's a table. If you're in the balcony up top, you can come down. There's a table over here and to my right as well. They'll put one of these Bibles in your hand. Just say, man, I already have a Bible. But this one is special. It's broken down into 365 daily readings. I read these same readings every single day. If you start now, you can get through the whole New Testament in one year. 
And so if you prayed to receive Christ today, please go grab one of these Bibles as a gift to you. Can we give God a hand for what he's done today? My hope, my hope for you and my hope for myself is that you start. You know where you need to start. You know what's going on in your heart. If you want your life to change, you have to start with yourself. The journey of a 1,000 miles begins with the first step. Don't let 365 days go by and you're sitting here a year from today and you haven't changed one bit. Don't let that happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that every single day is an opportunity to start over, to start again. You are an amazing God. You want to come behind us and lift us up and support us and give us the strength and the grace to start fresh, to start new every day. God, help us to do the work that we need to do in our hearts, to, to begin working on the issues that are on the inside, because we truly believe that it's the condition of our hearts that determines the quality of our lives. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, next week, before you go, next week, I'm going to be talking about what do you do when you continue to sin and you're a Christian? How do you start again? How do you start over? How does that work? If, if you have a friend who struggles with that, come on back next week. We're going to dive right into that. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.